Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash doctrine. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, the podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship. I hate you. Wow. That's how we're starting. That's how, because you're That's making fun of me. Sta- you're, you're doing I, these I, hand I, gestures because you're making fun of me. I'm not. Yeah, you did. Okay, if there was video, people would see how mean you are to me. How, uh, and who am I making fun of? You're making fun of me. Who are you? Yes. Who am I? Oh, yeah, I'm Jimmy Fowler, Elder Candidate at Redeemer Fellowship. But yeah, quit making fun of me. It was okay. That's how I remember. So I know Jimmy crosses it's so, his fingers. It's so silly that Jimmy, I do it. Jimmy crosses his fingers like he's making a wish, and he holds up his hands up in the up in the air, and that's so he remembers what he wants to say and doesn't forget. That's because we don't have notes, we don't have scripts, we don't do anything like that. So I need to. I don't want to interrupt you. Do you want me to? I mean, I don't want to pet some. You can write it down though. You can just like jot a little thing down on a piece of paper. That works good. Yeah, you know that does work good. I guess mm-hmm. I could do that. Yeah. Nah. How's your week? Uh, week's been good. Uh, nice and slow and steady. Uh, having lunch meetings with friends and just being able to hang out. Really excited. Um, uh, you know, uh, later on tomorrow night, got the uh, just community group. So yeah. I'm really pumped for that. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good. What about you? Uh, yeah, well, it's good. You know, it's, uh, it's my daughter says this is the most wonderful time of the year. October. You know, yeah. <laughs> she loves October. She loves, she loves, you know, you know what? She likes October. Uh, cause it's Halloween and she looks normal. Yeah. Catherine blends right in, uh, when Halloween season rolls around because she has crazy hair and interesting dresses in an, interesting and she doesn't really way. look that abnormal. If, if, if there's a scale out there, right? Like, uh, yeah, she, you know, her hair and, and stuff like that, but she's a really, it's actually kind of odd that. Uh, you know, she comes from you, yeah. Because she's really yeah. sweet and kind and caring and helpful uh, and willing to uh, assist people, right? When so they're in that's, need. That's like me. Where's how is she not like me? No, no, that's, that's what I'm wondering. Well, you, well, well, she's not short. Nope, she's not. She's so, average. You know, yeah. So that's how I get it. Yeah, she's different in me. For me, in that she's not. And her character, tall. personality, eh. her heart. And yeah. genuine interest and love for others. I think I think that's all from me. Uh, she does. So. She actually likes Halloween, and uh, you know when people think about October, they think about Halloween. Uh, we're actually going to talk about Halloween. You can expect that next week. We'll be uh, having a a little discussion on mm-hmm. how Christians think about and should think about Halloween. But uh, we're not talking about that celebration today. What are we talking about, Jimmy? We're going to be talking about the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. It's, uh, in fact, this is... Ever heard of it? Bro, do you even Reformation? Do you even Reformation? <laughs> <laughs> We're, um, this is, this is uh, getting close because next year is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Wow. I mean, it's kind of accurate because 1517, October 31st, was what? It was the first uh, Halloween party? First Halloween party. That is, uh, is that the uh, 95 Theses? Martin yep. Luther post that sucker up? Yep, yep. Uh, on the Wittenberg door. 
he, uh, yeah, so 1517, uh, October 31st, that's when Martin Luther put up the 95 Theses. Now, there was already Reformation work beginning. God yeah. had begun to stir in the hearts of different people. John Huss, way before this, um, uh, Tyndale, uh, a little earlier as well, um, in different parts of the world. You know, God was raising up different people uh, to push for uh, a clear gospel proclamation and pushing back against the abuses uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. So, but... 1517, October 31st, that's what most people think is the official kickoff of the Protestant Reformation. So, you know, uh, pretty, pretty big deal for us as yeah. Protestants. You know, we like it. Some people think of it as a, as a schism and a, a breach with mm-hmm. the church, the one true church. The one true holy Catholic church. And, you know, the Reformers, they really didn't want to split off. They didn't no. want to start a new church. They wanted to see reform happen. Yeah. They wanted to see the... The gospel clarified and embraced. They wanted to see the abuses, the selling of indulgences, mm-hmm. uh, you know, put to death. Um, and if you don't know, uh, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church at the time was, um, was, a, was very corrupt. And it was, uh, it was a time when they were uh, asking people to give the church money. And the, the sales pitch essentially was, if you want to buy your relatives out of purgatory. If you want to ensure their afterlife in paradise, then give us money and we'll get them out. So how is this different than uh, the preachers of today that would say, if you want to buy your health, give the church money. If you want to buy your, uh, like an abundance of, of wealth, give the church your money. How is this any different from, I'm going to just single out like the prosperity preachers of today. The difference is one of subtlety in that at the time, this guy like Tetzel Mm -hmm. would even say, uh, I think the rhyme is something like the moment the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. So he was really clear on what was going on. Like, uh, you know, he, uh, and whereas, you know, the prosperity gospel people, they talk a lot about faith. They they talk a lot about, you're sowing seeds. You're not buying this. You're, you're, you are uh, sacrificing and giving this. You're sowing the seed and then God responds in kind. I don't think there really is much of a difference, but Mm -hmm. uh, the subtlety is. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Okay. It's much more underhanded. Yeah. It's much more deceiving. Yeah. yeah, Yes. I mean, I don't know how else to word it than that. Right. Am I being unfair when I say that? You're asking the wrong guy because oh yeah because we're pretty I'm, yeah. I'm, I think that's a nice so I think next time uh, we need to have Creflo you know come in on his private jet yeah um, and maybe he can help us understand this a bit better yeah that that would be good that would be good you know I wonder if he would be as successful if his name was like Creflo broke Creflo Penny Creflo if he was Creflo Penny how would that Creflo go? pesos it feels really. <laughs> How's that for Providence? My name is Creflo Dalla. Give me your dollars. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, man, I don't want to, I mean, it is, it is providential, but oh boy, scary stuff. So, um, lots of wolves out there. So we're talking about the Protestant Reformation. Um, you know, we say, well, what, what was the Protestant Reformation? It's, mm-hmm. it was this movement yeah. of, of, of individuals really in, in not just in one area. It was in England. It was in Germany. It was, it was all over. And it was a a pushback against bad theology yeah. and bad practice. It was a desire to recover good doctrine and devotion, really. Yeah. It, that's, that's what it is. And um, there were, though, at the heart uh, of, of this 
movement, key theological issues. And most of us talk about them in terms of the five solas. Yeah. And so we'll talk a little bit about those, but the, the big one, really the, the principle that guided the Protestant Reformation was sola scriptura. Yeah, and I think part of that then uh, was people started to kind of see for themselves and read for themselves uh, what scripture was saying, correct? Am, mm-hmm. I, am I remembering my church history right, or am I just pulling it out from whatever I from where? Read. where okay, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? I don't say? know what you were going to say. <laughs> you gave me this look like somehow I was about to say something. Yeah, the, uh, the issue is that the Roman Catholic Church had um, various sources of authority. Yeah. And there was the scripture they held in high esteem. Uh, there were the traditions of the church, which they held to equal esteem and authority. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, whenever the pope spoke ex cathedra or from his chair officially. From the all, chair of Peter. Yeah, all of, those, all of those held equal weight. And what the Protestant reformers were saying it is no, the, the scripture alone is our final authority, and everything must be measured by it. Everything must be evaluated by it. And there weren't a lot of people reading at that time because yeah. the literacy was very high. But for every one person that could read, a hundred could listen. Yeah. So you're right. Um, as the scripture became more readily available, more people were reading it and were pushing back against. Mm-hmm. But it started with leadership who could read. It started That's with it. leadership who had access to like Luther didn't only have access to the scripture he had access to guys like John Huss mm-hmm. and John Huss was saying the, the stuff that Luther was saying but he's saying it long before Luther and so there was this movement among leadership that bled out into everybody else and this this doctrine of sola scriptura what does it fundamentally teach uh well actually I'm going to read here cuz uh Dustin my brother and I he's a personal trainer here in St. Charles uh, and him and I meet Monday, Wednesday, Fridays uh, at five in the morning to work out together. And after we're done working out, we do a devotion. And we've been going through the 1689. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 1689, Represent. chapter one, paragraph one says this. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry or miscellaneous times and in diversified manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto and that's holy W H O L L Y unto writing, which makes the Holy scriptures to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing. Yeah. Those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now completed yeah so for us it's it's that is what we go to that is our only uh, authority and that's something that you know my brother and i kind of talk about is uh and even as now you're talking about there was these other uh means of authority that carried the same weight as scripture and that is what they were were coming up against and so uh actually psalm 19 verses 7 to 13 say this those are good 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the, uh, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is a great reward. Boom. Boom. The law of the Lord is perfect. So yeah. this is our only authority. Yeah, it's our final authority. It's our final you, authority. You, you could, and I don't have a problem saying only authority because I want to define authority really yeah. as binding. But yeah, it, everything else that may be good must be evaluated. And then what they were seeing is, is like, wow, you know what? Uh, you know, the Pope says this, but that's in conflict with what Scripture says. You know, and so which one do I go with? Do I go with, um, you know, the tradition? Do I go with the Pope or do I go with Scripture? Because they don't all line up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Scripture has to settle the issue. And, you know, there's, when you're talking about sola scriptura, you're meaning not only is the Scripture authoritative, yeah. which I think a lot of Christian and churches, Christians and churches are ready to embrace that, but it's also sufficient. I think that's a really important word. They, they do, many churches, in a practical sense, don't believe that. They don't believe yes. that it is enough yes. for our spiritual life, for the life of, of faith and godliness to, to guide us in what we want to do. They bring in other ideas or authorities, and they treat them as if they hold equal weight. They're traditions. You know, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many people— uh, in like the, our denominational context, yeah. Let's just start with the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Like who they will they will bring issues to the table and say this is the way it must be. They have no scriptural support for it. They'll try to make it happen, make it work. And even when they admit, okay, it's not really a scriptural issue, they'll still well, like for the alcohol issue, for yeah. example, they'll still push really hard for it and and say like your conscience needs to be in line with my conscience and though scripture doesn't say what i want it to say uh, you need to go this way they and it's essentially their own tradition that they have had since you know the the temperance movement so sufficiency of scripture accompanies the authority of scripture um big protestant reformation idea that we need to hold on to the second one joe sola gratia yep go for it so sola gratia is a Latin word that means grace alone, that we are saved, reconciled to God, that we are purchased out of our sin and condemnation and brought into the kingdom of God and fellowship with God uh, by grace alone, meaning that it is not by um, the church. Yeah. It is not by works. It is a gift that God gives us freely. So there is no way to earn it. There is no way to um, work your way up and and stand before God on your own. Instead, uh, God says, you are justly condemned. You deserve death and hell. But what I'm offering you here is life eternal, the joy of salvation, and a renewed creation. And you can have this at no cost to yourself, Mm -hmm. but at great cost to my son. So grace alone is a, a, a central idea in the Protestant Reformation because it, it is central to the gospel itself. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that um, we 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 tend to get confused on this. We tend to drift away from it. We we think we believe at some point. Wow, God's grace, grace alone. It's a gift that God gives me. But many people are prone to to 
to despair that somehow God does not relate to them upon grace uh, after so much time goes by in their life. Like, like what do you mean? Sorry. I'm, like, I'm so somebody might, uh, you know, begin uh, the, the Christian life by faith and they, they just, they know it was a gift. They're so humbled by it and they're secure. They have this assurance. But as time goes by, sometimes they drift back into an idea where, wow, I, I've really messed up this week. I've really blown it. I was filled with lust or hatred or violence or I stole something or whatever it is. And now I don't feel like I'm okay with God anymore. Mm. Now I feel like I, I can't even go to God and pray. I, I can't approach God even in repentance because I'm so messed up right now. I better do some things first to clean myself up before I go before the Lord. Yeah. But grace alone says, no, it, the, you, you, your filthiness is what qualifies you uh, as a recipient of God's love and kindness, right? He loved us while we were sinners. And so you you can't clean yourself up. Only God cleans you up, and God has cleaned you up in Jesus, whether you have had a bad week or a good week. If you have trusted in Christ, then you are holy and blameless before him. And now you can go to him right now as you are and confess your sins, and he will gladly receive you and continue to cleanse you. No, this needs to be something that we push a lot, and it's something that we do push a lot yeah. in this. What you know, what people tend to call the gospel-centered movement. Yeah, and I mean, and part of that going hand in hand then is sola fide, uh, by faith alone. And you think of like uh, you know Romans uh, chapter four verses one mm-hmm. to eight, right? Right. Uh, I'm just going to focus here on. Uh, well, I'll just read it. And then shall we say, uh, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So don't have trust in that flesh, uh, in circumcision. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So it's nothing he could do. It's not, it's not like you're saying, it's not about works based. Uh, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, that's that grace, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And this is the quote, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So it's, it's something that we, we believe, right? We trust in the work of God, not in our own ability. We trust in the grace of God, not in our own ability. We trust in the love of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. 1689 chapter 14 paragraph 1 says this, the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe the saving of their soul. So again, even faith itself yes. is a gift of grace from God for our salvation. It, uh, it continues on, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word, so by the preaching of, of the gospel, by which also and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means of, of other means appointed of God, it is increased and strengthen. So yeah. our faith can fluctuate right. and we go to these means of grace that, that God has provided to us. We might be weak at times. Actually, uh, chapter 14, uh, paragraph three speaks about that. Yep. Um, we might be weak at times. We might be strong at times, but what remains the same, what we need to trust in is that God is consistent and his salvation is sure. That's right. That's right. And you know, this, this idea that you're talking about that, how, you know, grace and faith are coupled together. They are different. 
you know, grace is God's kindness to us. It's the free gift of salvation, and faith is the instrument by which we receive it. So like the Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, mm-hmm. and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, uh, not of works. But then we see that in verse 10 of Romans 2, that, uh, that works are important and works are a part of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. That's the important distinction. But they are the fruit of our salvation. Exactly. And they are a demonstration that God has not only saved us, but now equipped us to walk in his ways. So yeah, faith is the condition, right? Jesus says, you can come to me, but that's, that's the issue. Come. You must come to me. You must believe um, that no one gets into the kingdom but by faith in him. So, yeah, sola gratia, sola fide, and uh, what's next, Jimmy? Uh, Solus Christus. Oh, solus Christus. I'll let you take that one. Well, solus Christus means Christ alone, that, uh, that we are saved by God's grace through the instrumentality of faith, and it's only in Jesus Christ. Yep. This is the very specific... Uh, work of redemption. It's uh, again. It's not found in the church. It's not found uh, anywhere else. God could not have redeemed us by any other means but the sacrifice of His Son, who took our place. Yeah. So you know Romans chapter five, uh, verses. I think it's twelve through twenty-one. Let me open it up. Yep. Go for it. I'll wait, man. I I'll need, wait. I gotta put my glasses do, on. Do 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 do. I gotta put my glasses on. I told you you're old. All right, here we go. I'm ready, Alex. But the free gift is not like the trespass. And he's talking about the difference between Adam, the first representative of, of fallen man, the first representative of humanity, and then Christ, the second Adam, who is the new representative for all who believe. And so the free gift that comes through Jesus, he says, is not like the trespass that came through Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Mm -hmm. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The whole point here is that Adam brought sin and death, and that's what we have all inherited in him. All of humanity is united with Adam. Um, But in Christ, we have this one man, this one representative who brings salvation to all who believe in him. So those who are joined to Christ are pulled out of Adam, are joined to the Savior, and we have Salvation, so it's not found in anyone else. This is an exclusive faith, uh, not the, in that it's it's only for the select. It's open to everyone to like come, believe. the 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 door is wide open, though very few people seem to want to enter into it comparatively. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's it's Acts chapter you know four uh, that there is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. So yes, we believe in the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Uh, we love people of other faiths. We befriend people That's right. uh, of of other religions, but we are very honest with them in that there is salvation in no other system, in no other religion. Redemption can only be found 
in Jesus Christ. So we believe very much in solus Christus, that Christ alone is our salvation. But then there's the, the big daddy, the one that kind of encompasses them all, right? Yeah, uh, sola Deo gloria. To God be the glory alone. Yeah. All of this should, should, I feel like this is kind of that, it's not only a truth, but I feel like it's a response that uh, as we come to know Jesus, as we come to know God, as we are saved and we are redeemed and we are being sanctified and growing in our faith, it should spur us on to realize, like to give God the glory, to see that it's only his work that saves us. So it's that idea that all this is to the glory of God alone. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about your child or your husband or your wife or your neighbor or anybody else. Uh, while God loves all those individuals, it is about God's glory being upheld above everything else. And it points to how glorious God is. Psalm 115 uh, verse uh, one says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory Yeah. for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So it is, it is all to his glory alone and we should be ascribing that and i think that's why you know we we believe in the doctrine of election that's why we believe in that because it's not about us because if it was about us then yeah we should get some praise we were smarter than everybody else to yeah, look at those dummies God. look at those dummies yeah, what, not what, believing in and jesus and that's just it what made us smarter than them i made myself smarter than them yeah that's it i make myself <laughs> smarter than that that's oh, yeah. essentially what i i feel someone is saying when they believe that they choose god you somehow have the inside okay. track, um, yeah, on your own, that I somehow have the inside track that other dummies don't have. Yeah. And I just don't see that in, in Scripture. What I see is it is by grace alone, yeah. through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's all grace. That's it. Know, it's, it's all of its grace. And there, election is pure grace. Mm -hmm. It's 200 proof grace. Mm -hmm. That's it's all that it is. Um, but I'm, I'm, as an aside here, um, oh, ooh. how do we glorify God? How would you, how would you answer that? If so, okay, so all things in this life are for God's glory. Mm -hmm. To God alone be the glory in all things. And in salvation, all of salvation is for God's glory. Um, how do we actively glorify God? What would you say? I think worship is one of those. Yeah. Right. I think worship and, and you can look at that corporately or privately or family. Uh, I think worship is is an aspect of giving ascribing God mm -hmm. the glory. It's very explicit. It's, it's a very, very explicit way of, of glorifying. God. Yes. And now let's say I'm going to go out on a rope here. I'm going to say obedience. Yeah. I'm going to say uh, uh, obeying the law of God. Yeah. Realizing we can't. Uh, and knowing and trusting and believing in faith that that Christ's act of obedience is that which is credited to us. Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, there is joy in that because it is that which is best for us, and it gives God glory as well. Right. The, if, if glorifying God is, like, well, what is it? Because you, mm -hmm. you can't add to God's glory. That's it. it. But you can... To glorify God is to point to his glory or to reflect his glory to others and back to himself. So um, when we obey God, what are we doing? We're showing the worthiness of God, the beauty of his law. We're reflecting his character. We're reflecting the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. And this is why even in um, the children's catechism, yeah. you know, one of the questions is, uh, 
uh, why did God make you in all things? Uh, for his own glory is the answer. How may we glorify God is the next question by loving him and doing as he commands. Yeah. So I, th- I, th- I think you're right. I think that you know, we glorify God by reflecting him in all that we do, explicitly, say, for example, in corporate worship, and then maybe more subtly in doing a good job in taking care of our lawn or working yeah. hard at our vocation, um, in loving our kids. We can glorify God or reflect his goodness and beauty in all that we do. That's good, man. Now, is this something that would be called the third use of the law? Well, the, the third use of the law speaks to the law's usefulness. Yeah. So it's the law is useful in leading us uh, in the way of godliness. So or so is, would that not then? Yeah. So that's why I'm asking. Is this is this part of that then? Yeah. That in in the the third use of the law we glorify God, but I mean in the second use of the law we, we glorify, glorify God, God as yeah. well. So yeah, absolutely. The third use of the law, and maybe we should do a whole episode on that. Um, is because it's such a it's such a debated and for some people hated oh yeah topic yeah i've had people tell me uh those, you know, I, I love you guys but i can't come to your church because you believe in the third use of the law <laughs> i'm like all right well, i don't know what to tell you man we, we do we do um listen man talking about uh the the protestant reformation mm-hmm. a lot of people you know don't have the the privilege or the yeah. benefit of going to seminary or bible college or taking yeah. religious studies and reading a lot of books on the reformation it's mm-hmm. Uh, it's super interesting. It's super valuable for us to to get into and to understand. And one of the ways that you can do that is by reading history. And now some people think like, oh my gosh, the last thing I want to do is read a history book. Yeah. So let's say they're they're hungry. They want to learn more about the Protestant Reformation, but the idea of opening up a history book is a little too much for them. What, give them some counsel, Jimmy. What would you tell them to do? Audible dot. For the listeners of Doctrine and Devotion, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And we want to recommend Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. Yeah. Uh, We highly recommend it. You can listen to it on the drive to and from work. You can listen to it while you work out. You can listen to it while you uh, do the dishes or just out on your back patio Whatever you're doing, you've got the opportunity to listen to Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. And so you go to audibletrial.com slash doctrine, and you can go ahead and sign up for free, get your free download, and you can cancel the service at any time and yet still keep that free book. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, it's a great deal. It's a great opportunity. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash doctrine and grab Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley, especially this month as we uh, look forward, I guess, and remember what God has done in and through the Reformation. Right. So the, the, the core issue here in, in the Protestant Reformation, I mean, like we know that this guiding principle is sola scriptura, because without that, all bets mm-hmm. are off. Um, so if the core issue is... Um, or if the if the guiding issue is um, the, the 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 authority and the sufficiency of yeah. scripture, uh, what is the core issue at the heart of the Reformation that makes it relevant today? Uh, the gospel, right? The gospel. What is it like? What is the good news of our salvation? 
I mean, is it as even Paul was dealing with this, you know, uh, the circumcision of the flesh or is it mm-hmm. the circumcision of the heart? Is it about indulgences and, blo- and buying your way in or is it only in the sufficiency, uh, the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, this is an extremely relevant and important movement uh, because the doctrines that were uh, emphasized or rediscovered or preached over which men were executed, over which people were murdered, is, is very, very ripe for us today because uh, we're talking about the salvation of sinners. We're yeah. talking about the difference between heaven and hell. We're talking about the revelation of the glory of God in his mercy extended to the unworthy. So, yes, the Reformation matters because this is a gospel yeah. issue. And listen, we should not be afraid to call ourselves Protestants. Like, I know like Southern Baptists are like, we're not Protestants, we're our own thing. Uh, no, you're not, dude. That's pretty you, are, you are not your own <laughs> so thing. So arrogant. <laughs> no, well, some of them think they, they, can follow, they can trace their lineage around the Catholic Church, never touching it all the way back. That makes no sense. Well, uh, well, when you read their arguments, when you read the literature— right, I'll try to read them If you understand. read this, you read their long arguments, then then you really can see that it's dumb. But— Oh, um, <laughs> I thought you were going to try to be like, hey, man, no, be gracious. No, no, it's no good. No, no, it's, it's crazy. It's craziness. Uh, so uh, the gospel matters. We should be happy to say that we are Protestants. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I explain. Like, well, you know, like to a lot of people out in the world— because they don't know anything. Like I said, like, oh, I'm a Baptist, and they're going to conjure up certain ideas. Exactly. So I like to say, well, I'm a Protestant, and they go, what's that? And I say, well, do you, are you familiar with Roman Catholicism? And they usually say yes, because everybody out here is Catholic. Everybody knows that, yeah. And I say, well, okay, well, here are some of the basic ideas behind Roman Catholicism. And Protestants in the 16th century um, were pushing back against those ideas and preaching what they thought the Scripture really said, and here's what that is, and yeah. that's what I am. And then we get into the Baptist stuff. So one of the things is, like you said, the gospel— um, but another reason that this is such a relevant uh, issue is because it reminds us that theology matters. Yes. The, in, I mean, in all of life, theology yeah. matters. We, you can't be a church, you can't be a healthy church if you are you can't not— can't be a healthy Christian. No, you can't. If your pastors are not theologians, they need to resign. If you are a Christian— And, and we're not talking—hold on. We're not talking like Ph.D. No. level theolo- theologians. Like, make sure you're, you're, we're qualifying that. We're not talking about in an academic— sense right. are we everybody is every christian is a theologian the issue is whether they're good or bad at mm-hmm. it first of all so you might not think of yourself as a theologian but you are one. you are you what you either, do and what you say and what you believe reflects who you think god is and what god has done absolutely and all of that is being communicated to others so you're teaching implicitly yeah something about god so you're either representing him in a funhouse mirror which is inaccurate <laughs> and ridiculous or you've got something that's straightened out and giving a proper reflection of him that's a pretty good analogy so, i just want to throw that out there that was good <laughs> theology absolutely matters and so yeah you don't have to be rc sproul or jim fowler or joe thorne uh, like we're talking like the heavy hitters in church history today, uh, <laughs> but you could be at the level of like Kevin DeYoung or, James or John White. Piper, yeah, like those, like or you know, Nick, Nick Batson. Nick, you could be there yeah. and still be useful to yeah, the kingdom you know, in small measure. In small measure, not yeah. not like us. I mean, but, not like the broad influence that we have. Exactly, you know, you know, to I God think, be the glory. Oh yes, yes, Amen. <laughs> No, you don't have to measure up to anybody else's level of yeah. theological acumen. The, the issue is that every believer has to be the best theologian that they can be, and mm-hmm. they have to constantly work at it. I have to constantly work at it. And if you aren't a good theologian, then you need to become a good theologian. Yeah. Good 
not compared to others. The best that you can be. Invest in the Word of God. Read some good books. Get yeah. training uh, by your pastors. And so let me get back to this. If, if pastors are not theologians intentionally, if they, if they do not consider that their business, then they have no business being in ministry. Yeah. You've got to be a theologian to be a leader because you're teaching other people to be theologians, whether you know it or not. That's right. So theology matters, and we ought to be a people that um, have enough of the Word of God in us that we can see, wow, this doesn't line up with the truth of God. We've got to be careful here. That teacher, I'm not going to buy. Because if you're not a good theologian, then you're much more likely to wind up embracing not necessarily the errors of Rome, yeah. uh, but you will embrace other errors and pass those on to others. So theology matters. That's another reason it's relevant. And we need to continue the work of the Reformation yeah. in clarifying doctrine and devotion, right? right? Like the work is not done. Yeah. You know, like we, we need to continue. And that, that, that uh, clarifying of doctrine and devotion, what I mean by the work is not done, in our hearts, right? It needs to, yeah. it, we need to be constantly being reformed and changing uh, and being drawn closer and being drawn by the sweetness of the gospel, yep. the true gospel. And it's not like we're saying, all right, well, we need a chapter 33 in the 1689. Yeah. Um, oh, we should. Though, though I think you wrote one. Yeah, we, we, should, we should start a movement and call it chapter. Th- no, don't chapter do it. 33. Stop it. Stop. That'd be our own movement. Stop. You know, I'm, I'm going to say it. Don't what? I'm going to say it. What are you talking about? Because I know who you're referring to. You're, I'm not referring, you're referring to, to Acts 29. I love Acts 29. I know, but I'm you're a part referring of Acts to 29. them because there's only 28 chapters. Actually, I once told someone, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're part of the Acts uh, 29 network. It's like, uh, hey, man, I thought you guys loved the Bible and believe in the Bible. Uh, there's only 28 chapters. And I go, I don't think you, I don't think you understand the. Uh, the symbolism, like what they're trying to say, is yeah, that we're carrying add, on add the to scripture. Add, and the, the, add to scripture. No, that's not what <laughs> That's what they're doing. Add to scripture. We're carrying on the work of revelation of the church. Of the uh, church. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. God. No, it's great. It's great. Um, so we're not saying we, we need to add more to our confessional heritage. No. Though it, it's a good idea. I mean, listen, uh, history shows us that the church does articulate statements of faith and confessions and. Um, they draw up theological papers uh, to address issues of the day. But we're not saying that we need to add to uh, your, our confessional um, ideology. Mm-hmm. But we do, like you said, Jimmy, need to clarify our doctrine and repent of errors. Uh, if, we, if there are errors in our confession, and that's possible, if there are errors in the confession, then we need to identify those and repent of them. But more what we're getting at is— This is the most important part, I yeah, think. is heart is life, is godliness, and the application of the confession, the application of theology to life in the 21st century Mm -hmm. requires work and clarification. There are not necessarily new heresies, but new manifestations of old heresies. That's it, and I I think by now, I'm hoping people kind of see why uh, this podcast is named Doctrine and Devotion. Right. Is that we, we, you know, huh? We need both. That's yeah. right. It's it's not just about head knowledge, but it's about how our theology impacts our worship of God. And that's what we're talking about here when we talk about reforming your heart is that that understand doctrine better, clarify doctrine more that leads you to loving God more. Yeah, that's that's why we do what we do. And we talk about what we talk about. Because at the heart of everything and the heart of what Joe and I want and what we want for each other, what we want for ourselves and what we want for you is that you come away loving God more. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we, we could sit here and we could brush up 
um, on our history and uh, break out all the books and talk about, do little monologues and talk about. Like a monologue followed by a, by a monologue followed, followed by, by another, a monologue, mon- yeah. another monologue. Yeah. Uh, we could do that and talk about the Reformation and that would be somewhat beneficial. Mm. But we, if you're going to talk about the Protestant Reformation, you have to talk about the doctrine. And if you're talking about the doctrine, you have to talk about the impact that this is supposed to have in your life. Um, and we've all made the mistake of focusing on doctrine abstracted or removed from experience, and that is not only unbiblical, it is deadly. Uh, all right, I got, I got a question. How, yep. how should we celebrate the Reformation? Uh, I'm thinking balloons and pinatas. Pinata, wow, they're kind of importing a, a different culture. Well, yeah, world. before Trump gets into office and builds the wall, we can't have no them. more pinatas. So that's why is he going to outlaw pinatas? He's going well, yeah, he's not gonna he's gonna build the wall. We ain't gonna be able to have it. We can make our own pinatas. They ain't gonna be the same. No, no, we call those oh, unatas. United what? States. I don't know. I'm oh, trying to think of a way to put a United yeah, States in that. You United dropped, dropped the ball on that. One. I know. I well, you know what? I thought you, you were gonna use gringo in there or something. Gringadas. <laughs> Trump yadas. Trump yadas. Yeah. yeah. Go. They're going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> you can't set me up like that. Why do you set me up like that? I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You sent me that. Uh, you sent me that thing today about uh, an interview. You sent me a, a link to a special interview today. With, yeah. With Hillary Clinton. And this um, he's a he's a correspondent. Uh, he does. He does a lot of interviews. Um, Very well versed journalist. Yeah. I mean, and it's. I don't I, honestly. Like I don't. I, I don't have time to listen to an interview with Hillary Clinton. Uh, not because I'm voting for Trump. I'm not voting for either of those mm-hmm. two clowns. But um, and when they're the president, I won't call him clown anymore. Uh, but uh, but he said I, you really need to watch this interview. Um, and so I watched it today. And probably, I mean, I was really impressed with uh, what's his the interviewer's name? What's his name? Uh, Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, Zach, he, he's like with like MSNBC or something or CNN. No, no, uh, uh, it's called Between Two Ferns. Oh yeah, I don't remember <laughs> BTF. Okay, BTTF. I don't know, but that was that was enlightening. All right, so how should we oh. actually celebrate the Reformation? You got any ideas? Yeah, I mean, I, I again would just be going back to clarifying doctrine and devotion. Actually looking at this as a time, it's not about, see, here's the problem. I shouldn't say, well, it is a problem. It is a problem because it's a problem in my heart. And I'm assuming it's probably a problem in your heart uh, is I look at the reformation when I think about it and I look at it as a bash against Roman Catholicism. Yeah. I always, I, I look at it through that lens. And part of that is because I came out of uh, Roman Catholicism. Yeah. And so I have an ax to grind myself personally um, nothing bad. It's just when you when your eyes are opened, you begin to see the errors and you you repent of the errors that you for so long had uh, played a part in. Mm-hmm. And so, oftentimes when when we talk about the Reformation, we talk about how bad the Roman Catholic Church is, and we neglect uh, the good things that the Roman Catholic Church has done. When we talk about like the uh, theology of vocation or even mercy ministry, how how they have reached out to the poor and cared for them in such a way that we as Protestants have neglected. Maybe not neglected. We're just not up at the same level. Um, so let me get this straight. Okay, go ahead. Now, you, dude, now you're going to say I'm a Roman Catholic. No, no, I know no, somehow, no, no, some no, way, no, 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 no. you're you, going to say... No, 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 you kick the habits. I, I get it. No, that's good. Here we go. All right. So you're saying that you think we should celebrate the Protestant Reformation by honoring Roman Catholicism for I'm their saying. works of mercy. All right, I've saying. got some ideas that's for celebrating what, the Reformation no, that I think are I'm a little saying. bit more I'm just on target. I'm just saying... Uh, actually work on yourself and quit trying to n- 
quit trying to bash somebody else. Yes, there's a lot of heresy there, but there's a lot of heresy in your heart too. Why don't you look at that? So that, I guess that's where I'm trying to go yeah. is that don't make this don't make this the anniversary of spit on the Roman Catholic Church Day. Exactly. exactly. And I think that's really good, Jimmy, that the idea that we, we, we truly celebrate the Reformation by being reformers. Yes. Uh, and that means being reformed in theology and reformed in heart. Bam. And that's what it means. It means that we're, we continue the work, Semper Reformanda, always reforming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's the real way to do it. Um, or uh, you could have a costume party. I why why we do it at a costume party? I'm just saying you could you could like who's we got, gonna have a costume party? Well, no one's gonna have a costume. Party. I've I, we got a house now. It's got a big porch. I'm big not coming room. to your house for if, a costume. If, if party. we had a Reformation costume party, who would you come as? Who would I come? Because I've already got mine picked out. It's gonna be awesome. All right, let me think. You could never guess. No, no, for you. I was thinking yeah. for me. Yeah, who would you be? You got to have a beard. You have to be somebody with a beard. So I'm not. It's going to have to be one of the early reformers because once you get later on. So um, I'm trying to think of someone kind of big, jovial. Well, Luther was big, but he did for a while. But he didn't have a beard. That's the thing. But he was like, yeah, he was. He went really far. That's why I I was thinking him because he goes. He's really. He felt like when his in his writings, he looked really emotionally charged. Yeah, he just kind of jumped from one end to the other. I, I would say emotionally challenged. Fair enough. He was pretty. He was pretty angry. He was pretty angry. So I feel like that. That's I think, you. I think you could pull off John Knox. You yeah. think so? Yeah. Think I could pull off John Knox? I think you pull off John Knox. I'll, I'm not coming to your house, but I'm just. No, saying. you're coming to my house. You know who I'm going to be? Who are you going to be? Servetus. <laughs> really? That's who you want to be? Yeah. Why? Because he was got his head chopped off. I could be like all ghoulish. I could get the thing, make it look like my head is cut off. I could be a Trinitarian heretic. But you know, here's so you, you wait. Hold on. So you would essentially have to put like an extra neck and yeah. upper body uh, over your head. You think I don't already have that? No, no, no. Over your head, yeah. So that it looks like it. You think I don't have that? No, but I'm just saying you'll look normal size then. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's do let's do a, let's do some mailbag real quick. We got oh, some time. Did I offend you? I'm sorry. No, you're, dude, you're not just, that short, dude. No, I might. You, I've been so hurt and abused by you that at this point, I'm just emotionless. I don't have any feelings left. All right, here we go. John S says this. I really don't care. Uh, the message is, "Hey guys, thanks for the podcast." Why are you reading it like that? Because that's what it says. Hey guys. Hey thanks guys. Thanks for the podcast. Okay. Uh, I've been reading old dead guys like. <laughs> oh, hold on. All right. All right. John, I I know, John, I I want you to know know something, John. Um, I know what you're saying here because I myself have terrible grammar. John, you're a dummy. I'm just going to say it right now, John. Okay, here's how it reads. You go, I've been reading, I've been reading old dead guys like Piper. (laughs) Like Piper (laughs) says, what you mean to say is John Piper suggests to be reading old dead guys. That's what you're saying. Yeah. He he says, it just just looks funny when you're reading it. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear whom you would recommend. He started with Owen, Mortification, Communion with God, and uh, he's reading Ryle's uh, Holiness. Who should be next? Thanks. John, uh, you're reading some great guys there, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, One of my favorite dead guys is Thomas Watson. My wife and I love Thomas Watson. We've read him a lot over the years, since 94. We'd read him out loud to each other, down by the river after church on a Sunday yeah, man. Mm. It's romantic. Um, Do you really? Oh, we used to. Yeah, no, we are too busy now. We got all the kids. And I was about to say, I don't see you going by the Fox River, and that don't really feel very romantic. I don't like being outside. Uh, but, you know, we were dating then, so I had to do it. So you had to do yeah, whatever you had to do. Seal that deal. So, yeah, uh, Thomas Watson, and I would say uh, pick up his little three volume set 
where um, he deals with, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. um, Lord's Prayer, and aspects of the of the Westminster. Uh, really, really good stuff. Uh, that would that be. I'll give you that one recommendation. Are there any dead guys you want to recommend? Yeah, I was thinking. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, uh, and I think it's. It might actually be. Is it by Baxter? It's not uh, the Reform Pastor, but it is. Oh man, the Flame one. Uh, the Wick. The Wick will not. That's by Sibs. By Sibs. Thank you. I, mean, I knew it was Richard. Richard something. Oh, Richard yeah, Sibs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, Richard Sibs. And what's mm. the name of the book again? You don't know? No, I can't remember. The, uh, the, so do you feel like you really... Uh, I've read that one. Are you sure? Yeah, the candlestick one. Candle, the flax. The flax what? will not extinguish. Mm-hmm. Is, fl- do you mean... Say it. <laughs> Say it. The, the bruised read. I'm just messing The bruised up. read. Yes, that's the one. It's the so good. The bruised read yeah. by Richard Sibbs. Thanks for, uh, you know, drawing me out there. You could have... Hey, th- dude, listen. You, you were beating me up, up on me there, earlier. That's one. what happened. Now, listen. The truth is, is like what, what he's talking, what Jimmy's talking about here, you find in the Puritan paperback series by Banner of Truth. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and get all those. Get mm. all those Puritan paperbacks, throw them on your shelf, and just go through them one at a time. They are awesome. All right. Um, you want me to read this, or you want to read it? Which one is it? The one by, from Mike. Well, do you want to read it, or do you want I'll to read it? I'll read it. Well, you're reading all of them. I don't, yeah, I don't get to read anything. Here you go. Mike Marsuk... Wait. Mike Marsupial? No. Mar- <laughs> Mike Maruska. Maruska. Babushka. All right. Hey, guys. I love the show. I appreciate your insight on how Redeemer does things. Not that it is the only way, but it provides a glimpse into the life of how one church works things out. I had a question about serving in the church. There are so many good and worthy areas to serve and care for others. How do you think through what ministries you will take on as a church? I used to be a member of, at a church that really emphasized serving in the city, you know, uh, feeding the homeless, cleaning up a school, after-school tutoring programs, foster care, sex trafficking, etc. All of these things are good things, but the church can't do all things. My two concerns were one, the church seemed more like a nonprofit than a church as a proclamation. Wait, more. Wait, the church seemed more like a nonprofit I'm than so a church as a proclamation was often absent. And two, it appeared that serving somewhere became the marker of a follower of Jesus in some kind of works based righteousness. Uh, the church can't be about everything, so how do you discern what Redeemer will be about? Thanks, Mike. P.S. Every time you say D&D, I have flashbacks to seventh grade. P.P.S. Please don't let Jimmy read this out loud. Uh, okay, so... That doesn't um, say that. Uh, it should. Um, I can read. I think that you know what, what you're talking about here is, is somewhat common, that uh, you know healthy churches love their neighbors, and they want to do yes. good things. Um, but it is true, sometimes there is an imbalance, and churches neglect the mission of the church, which is the Great Commission, to make disciples, and they instead focus on the Great Commandment uh, in such a way that pushes uh, the Great Commission to the background, and the Great Commandment being, or including, loving your neighbor. Mm -hmm. So... um, Let's um, let me agree with you here. The church can't do everything; can't be yeah. about everything. There are a hundred real significant issues that we care about as Christians and as individuals. And one local church cannot engage in all of them. In fact, the church has to be um, wisely selective about yes. the things that they step into in terms of issues, causes, and yes, and mercies, mercy ministries, uh, because you can only do so much. I would say the 
the primary emphasis needs to be on making disciples, and then the, as disciples, we can then choose to engage in various ministries that stem from love for neighbor. And as a church, then, you can perhaps identify a couple of key ways in which a group from the church or the church can organize a ministry or just people in the church can go and work in. I, I think if you keep it simple, it makes it uh, a lot more impactful because the yeah. thing is when you try to do everything you're really doing nothing yeah you're doing and a little I, bit you're doing a little bit of everything and i think I, I remember this and now don't quote me on this i remember somehow i was reading uh piper's book let the nations be glad and i got i got a lot out of it but one of the things i remember getting out of it and i don't remember where if he said it explicitly or if it's just something i you know made up made up but it was this idea of find those two or three missions that you can be a part of and give abundantly there. Yeah. Cause especially as a ministry that and I had worked with a nonprofit and had uh, lived off of the donations of other churches. Well, when these churches are, have 15 different things, the reality is you're only getting a small cut. Yeah. You're getting a hundred dollars a month and yeah, every, every dollar counts. We say that, but you know, a, a dollar versus 1200 is, is quite a bit of a, it's quite different yeah. in, in your overall budget. A dollar versus 50 is a lot. That's you know it. what I mean? And, and that's like, just it. If you're, if you're, here's the thing, like as a nonprofit, if you are, uh, if you could find two or three churches or people, uh, individuals that are giving abundantly, right. Cause they're, they've narrowed their, fir- their focus. Um, then he, that frees you up from having to do a lot more fundraising. And then you can actually be doing the work, that they're trying, that they were intent, that they're wanting to pay you to do anyways, or to support you to do, anyway. So I think that's part of it. Narrow your focus. You can't do when you try to do everything. You're doing nothing. And I think something Joe said at the beginning of this answer uh, is really important for any church to think through. Uh, what is our mission? You know what what is what are we going to be about? What is our culture? You know, like the culture of the church, and what are we going to stand for here? at Redeemer, yeah, you know, or whatever church you're at. You have to determine, well, first of all, you have to determine that the mission is going to be making disciples. Mm-hmm. And then to complement that, um, then you have to decide what is the relevant need in our society that the people of our church might be able to meet. Is there an opportunity for our church yes. on some organizational level to, to step into that? And if so, who's going to run it? Who's going to manage it? Um, and if you have all of those things together then perhaps it's a good way to go. All right. We're not, we, we don't have time to do any more mailbag. No. Uh, but you know what? I do want to recommend a book. Which one? Uh, Theology of the Reformers by Timothy George. I Ooh. feel like it's, it's pretty, pretty applicable. Oh, it's great. As, it's, a great uh, it's a great book. Did you have to read that when you were in college? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I had to read that, for, read that for a paper. I was doing a paper on uh, Calvin and... Uh, Did I give you that book? Uh, no, Did I you give it, it back? No, I bought it. I bought that I'm, book. I'm going to look for it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I bought that book. I had to do a paper on uh, Calvin and the efficacy of baptism. Yeah. All right. Weird. Um, so, great book. Pick up Theology of the Reformers or hit Audible and get a good download. We want to thank uh, Justin Bond of J. Bond Media mm-hmm. for uh, hooking us up again with audio and engineering and editing. We're very grateful to him, his, his friendship and his, uh, his wisdom and all of his hard work and sacrifice. Um, if you want to help us at D&D, you can leave a review of our podcast on any of the platforms that you choose to use. But, man, we really appreciate it when it's at iTunes because that is the big dog in the podcast game. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. 
Twitter and Instagram at Doc and Devo, or on Facebook. You can go to our page and like it, and uh, that's just slash Doctrine and Devotion. We'd love for you to shoot us an email or a comment or an idea or a concern or a criticism, and you can go to our website, click on the contact page, fill out the form, send it, and we will get it. And uh, we thank you for listening and for telling your friends to listen. Thank you. Uh, It's super encouraging to know that you guys are uh, blessed by this and are sharing it with others. Look for another podcast every Monday and Thursday. See you later. Later. Later.